podcast. Uh, also, next week, everybody say next week. All right, you don't want to miss next week. Randy Ruiz will be in the house next Sunday, and it's going to be flat out awesome because uh, Randy is going to talk about a prayer of blessing that you can pray over your life, and I'm excited to hear this message myself, and uh, I know he's fired up. He's been studying and working himself up for it for a number of weeks as we've been talking, and so he'll be in the house next Sunday, so you don't want to miss that. And then a week from then, two weeks from today, we'll start a new series here, and uh, this series will be based on the life of Elisha. Okay, Elisha said, I like how this guy walks, and I want to walk in his footsteps. And so we're going to be looking at footsteps of faith uh, over the month of November, and it will be a faith builder series. So if you need your faith built up to believe God for this next season of life, for this next whatever it is, in your life, then don't miss this series. It's a series not to be missed. It's one to bring friends to as well. So uh, be sure and be here for the month of November. It's going to be an exciting, exciting month. I have more details about what God's going to do uh, this fall and this Christmas season uh, here as a result of our faith going to another level. But today, we're talking about a message that uh, last Sunday we started we start about the afterlife. It's so essential to know what's after this. Right? Anybody curious about that? Uh, what's after this? And so last week we started with heaven. Today we're going to heat things up. And uh, we're going to talk about hell. All right? Um, what's, what's important about this topic and what's important about this message is is for me, it's kind of a tough topic to talk about. I'm sure you get that. That it's not like, oh, good hell. He's going to give us hell today. You know, I don't think anybody is, um, you know, really uh, excited necessarily about that. But Jesus talked about this a lot, and I think it was because he just felt like I've got to. You know, I, I have got to talk about this. I, I have to talk about it. And listen to this. He talked about it more than heaven. See, pe people like that one, right? Uh, but, but he talked about hell more than he did heaven. As a matter of fact, uh, the Bible records the words of Jesus. But John tells us when he was recording the words in the life of Jesus, he says, I couldn't record everything. Uh, he, he says, if I wrote everything down, the world itself couldn't contain all the books that should be written. So out of the books that were written about Jesus, we know that Jesus talked about hell, preached about hell 33 times. Now, why that's significant all the more is because we know Jesus was only here preaching for about three years or so. So out of those three years or so that he was preaching, three, three and a half years, he talked 33 times about hell. How would you like to go to his church, right? 
Because, I mean, it's like, hell again. Here, you know, here we are, hell again. You know, can he talk about heaven some more? And, and so Jesus, I think, was doing that because he was setting up a warning. He, he was trying to warn people that there is a hell. And you don't want to go there. And here's the best news, and we'll get to this. You don't have to, all right? You, you don't have to go to hell. And, of course, that was the whole mission of Jesus. But you know, I was thinking about warning people and everything. Any parents in here that feel like that's a lot of what you do? <laughs> you know, you're just warning, you know, don't, you know, stop, you know, don't do that, don't choose that. You know, it's like, it's just like a big chunk. Uh, of what parenting is about. I don't know if you feel that way, but I know for us, you know, one of the things that we were like, you know, now listen, we did these braces, and now the dentist says, put the retainer in your mouth. And as one who had braces before, I know you need to do that. Because if you don't, your teeth We'll move back. And, and so we, we just were warning, is your retainer in? What? Go get your retainer. <laughs> well, you mean you don't know where your retainer is? Go, get, go find your retainer and get it in your mouth, you know. And, and so a few years, you know, it seemed like of this. And, and so here's what happened. Retainer when you know, finally, you just kind of like, okay, I have warned and warned and warned till I'm worn out. And so we went back to the dentist and said, oh, look here, teeth have moved. So much so that a retainer is not going to do this now. We're, we're going to need to rebrace your teeth. In which we said, you're going to rebrace your teeth. Mom and dad paid for the first time around for this, and there's no reason why you should have to do this, so you get to pay this time. We are terrible parents, all right? <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, we had to do that all over again uh, because... There wasn't a heed to the warning. And Jesus talks about this topic 33 times, 167 times in the Bible it's talked about. And, and the whole time, it is a warning. It, it is saying, hey, 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 it's a reality, and you don't want to go there. But here's the, here's the crazy thing, is in this culture that we live in, a lot of people believe in heaven and less people believe in hell. Statistically, it's, if you ask people, more people believe in heaven than believe in hell. Well, here's the problem. The same guy that talked about heaven talks about hell. And so you can't really have one and not the other. You can't say, well, I like that part about turn the other cheek, especially when it's somebody else. And I like that. I like love your neighbor and all that, especially when I'm the one getting love, you know. And, and I love that, all those teachings and all. But, you know, that hell part. And, and so we can't do that, right? 
in a culture where churches no longer talk about hell, in a culture where many of us want to downplay hell, that is not the approach that Jesus took. And so today, we've just got to talk about this topic, and I hope it not only helps you, but I hope it helps you to help somebody else. Luke chapter 16. Now, last week, we were all over the Bible. Today, we're going to mostly be in Luke chapter 16. So if you have a Bible, you can just turn to Luke 16, and we're going to spend most of our time there because Jesus tells a story about hell. And this is unlike some of the stories Jesus would tell. Because if you're familiar with Jesus, he would tell stories, and sometimes he, he, it'd be like once upon a time kind of a story. It would be, the kingdom of heaven is like a little child. Well, what he was doing is he was saying, hey, if you need a picture of what I'm talking about, here's a little child and the kingdom of heaven is kind of like this. They're innocent, they believe. And so he set up a picture. Or he'd say, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like a field. Remember those times where Jesus would do those things? And so he would say, it's like unto. He does not do that in this story. Jesus does not say, now, hell is like unto. Instead, it's like he's showing and revealing an insight into hell to be able to actually pierce through and look into hell because when he does this story, he says there was a specific rich man I'm talking about. And then he says, and then there was a certain beggar, and he goes so far as to say, and I'll tell you what his name is. His name's Lazarus. And so in the other stories that Jesus told, he didn't give a name to the person because he was just kind of telling a story. But in this one, he says a name. And I believe the reason why he says a name is he's talking about a real person. And so this person, he says they have a real name and it is a real story and here's how it goes. Let's look at Luke 16 says in verse 19, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Now, we don't, that doesn't make sense to us, but in that day, purple was like unheard of. Hardly anybody could get their hands on purple cloth because it, it took for the dye that it was used. It was very expensive to make. It, it was like almost no one had purple. And, and so when Jesus uses this illustration, he's saying he's one of those guys that very few, that very few have this, he had it. And, and he says, and at his gate of his house was laid a beggar. So he, the guy couldn't even lay himself there. He, he was laid there. And, and his name was Lazarus. Now this, let me just say, because sometimes when we talk about Joseph, people are like, oh, Joseph and Mary. But there was more than one Joseph in the Bible. Okay? Now, when we talk about John, that, that, that was a name, like today, there's a lot of people named John. You know, there's probably somebody here named John. And, and so John is a common name. It was a common name then, are you talking about John the Baptist? Are you talking about John the Beloved? Are you talking about John Mark? Which, which John are you talking about? And, and so, Lazarus was a common name. 
Now, I don't know what everybody's naming their kids today, but I'm sure if we got expectant parents in the room, you all you know all about it, all right? Because you you were researching the ten thousand names and the whatever uh, to figure out a name. Because Lazarus was this guy's name. It's a common name, so it's not the same guy, but it's a common name. Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat with what fell from the rich man's table. And the reason why that's significant is because the rich people would just let whatever fall to the floor, and then here's what they do. They just sweep it up, and then they take it outside and feed it to the dogs after they were done with dinner. And so this guy is saying, I wish that that guy would just give me some dog food. You know, if I could just have some dog food today, that would be awesome. And, and so here he is, he's covered with sores, longing to eat the dog food. And even the dogs came, because they were there, because they were ready for the dog food, and came and licked his sores. And the time came when the beggar died, and look at what happens to him. The angels carried him to Abraham's side. We'll come back to that in a moment. The rich man also died and was buried. Doesn't say how he got there, he just got lowered down into the ground. And in hell, or Hades, where he was in torment, now notice that, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus there by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. In other words, the script has flipped, right? See, and so I just want to say real quick to somebody here that, that you think you're getting stuff that you don't deserve, and that my life's so terrible and tough and whatever. I'm telling you, the script isn't over yet. All right? So, so God will flip the script, and we talked about that last week and how people will pay for what they've done on this planet. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. In other words, you already decided where you're going to be. You, you don't get to decide again after you die. This is how Jesus explained it. He's like, no, you, you had all the time in the world over here and you, you didn't decide that way. Now you can't, after you get over there, now you can't decide something different. And, and so he answered, I beg you, Father. Now notice who's begging now. The other guy was the beggar, but now he's begging. I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. No problem. Let them listen to them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him... If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from 
the dead. I want us to look at this story today, and we're going to find three things that Jesus teaches about hell. I mean, first first of all, and this isn't one of the main points, but I just want to say, this just ends the debate of is there a hell? Because it's not like, well, do you think there is or whatever? Jesus said there is. Okay, Jesus, that you're believing died for your sins, said there's a hell. So it doesn't really matter what any religious organization or whatever says about it. Jesus said there's a hell. And he said that there's fire there. It's a place of fire. 32 times in the New Testament it's referred to as a place of fire. 19 times Jesus refers to it as fire. He, he says over and over again in just this passage alone that it's a place of torment. It's a place of torment. And there's three meanings to that word torment. One's acute pain, like with a debilitating disease. One is like a rack of torture in which someone would maybe be put on some kind of rack of torture, you know, ancient torturing devices, maybe sharp objects on it or whatever it would be used for that, or an intense fire that would be so intense that it could literally melt metal. And so that is how Jesus describes it. And I want us to look at three things in particular that we can learn about hell from this man's experience that Jesus talked about, a person who was literally there. Here's the first thing Jesus shows us is that people in hell are looking for relief. This guy was looking for relief. He needed some comfort. He wanted to cure. And notice this. He doesn't say, hey, could you send Lazarus over here with a bucket of water? And he doesn't even say, could you send Lazarus over here with a turvis of water? And he doesn't even say, could you have Lazarus dip his finger in water? He says, could Lazarus just dip the tip of his finger in water and come over here? In other words, this guy was so desperate, it was like, could, could you just... Could I just have a moment? And, and let me tell you something. The reason why Jesus is warning us about this place is because he says, I'm telling you, how it looks here is not how it's going to look there. People that you think have life going for them and they're just partying all the time and it looks like, boy, they're just getting along in life and whatever, carefree, case rah-rah, whatever. And, and it looks like it's all going their way and they're just selfishly living for themselves. It's going to flip one day. And Jesus says, this life here is short compared to that one there. And so you need to focus on there, you need, to, you need to hear this story so you're not focusing on the wrong thing. And here's the thing. Jesus said, we'll look at this in a second. Jesus said, hell wasn't created for you anyway. Did you know that? It was not created. Look at what he said. He said in Matthew... He says, then he will say to those on the left, let's talk about the judgment day that we talked about last week, depart from me, 
You who are cursed into the eternal fire, this is fire again, prepared who? For the devil and his angels. He says this fiery place of hell wasn't made for you. You you don't have to go there and you shouldn't go there because it was made for the devil and his angels. But on another occasion, Jesus did say, I have gone, I am going to prepare a place for you. And this place that I go to prepare a place for you, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, it's not been recorded, all that I will have for you, it's going to be such a place that you don't want to miss it, that's the place I've created for you. Isn't that good? So he, he's created a place, and, and the place that he's created for you, he's like, you, you don't want to miss that place. But I'm going to warn you about another place. Because you, you get to choose. I, I'm going to leave it up to you. I'm just going to give you information. I'm, I'm just going to help you to, to make a good decision. And, and so here's, here's what I'm going to say. Is, is I'm going to prepare a place. And then there was a place that wasn't meant for you. But if you want to go there, that's your option. And, and it's a place where they're looking for relief. And then he said, they are living with remorse. They're, they're living with remorse. It's a remorseful place because this guy is there and he says, oh, you know, once he gets past himself, then he's thinking, oh my gosh, I have, four, I have five brothers. I sure don't want them to come to this place. And, and then maybe he thinks, oh, oh, but Sam is a Christian, and they know Sam. I, I know Sam, go, he goes to church, and I, I think he's one of those Christians and everything and all, and I'm sure Sam will tell my five brothers about Jesus. He, he, will, ta- he will warn them about this place. I, I'm sure that Sam will do that. But then, maybe he gets to thinking but I knew Sam. And Sam didn't warn me. You know, uh, we talked a lot about politics and who I was going to vote for next. And we got into conversations about sports and different things. But somehow he never got around to warning me about a place like this. And so I I just, I don't know that he's going to say anything to my five brothers and they're liable to come here too. Think about that. So it's a place of remorse. It's, It's not just you went there. It's, oh my gosh, I could have helped somebody else not come here. Because it's my own choice that I did this, but I sure wish they would have chosen otherwise. And then Jesus says, it's a place where they're longing for remedy. They are longing for remedy. Because this guy thinks, oh, hey, 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 if someone, if someone came back from the dead, my brothers 
would not come here. And the person who's telling this story in just a few days is going to be that person who comes back from the dead. And and the Bible says that that many didn't believe him then. I, I mean, Paul says at one point in time, Jesus, when he came out, from the tomb, he he appeared to 500 people at one time, one time, and then he'd appear to one, and then he'd appear to two on the road, and then he appeared to the 12, and and even one of the 12 uh, said, he said, I don't believe it. Well, you, what, John, what are you you smoking, man? (laughs) You did not see Jesus, okay? Here, snap out of it. Peter, you don't, Peter, you get crazy, man. I don't know, you've been fishing too much. You, you've, you've had too much seawater get in your brain or your lungs. Fishing. Jesus did not rise from the dead, okay? And, and that was 2,000 years ago. So the Bible says, even when they could see him, like, oh, you don't believe Jesus is alive? There he is. And, and now, 2,000 years later, see, and, and even in this story, he, he said, oh, but it, if somebody came back from the dead, they'd believe that. And, he, and Abraham says, uh, no. They could discount that if they wanted to. And, and Jesus says, believe me, they will, because I know I'm going to rise from the dead in a few days, and people are not, still not going to believe it. And, and so then he says that, that what happens is they've got the Bible. Oh, okay, that's right. We've got Grandma's Bible sitting there. But, but my brothers don't read it. They, they don't pay attention to it. And, and Jesus is like, well, the, the warning's there. I mean, I mean, it's just all pointing to the way. And, and I want you to understand something. The Bible that Jesus is talking about, he calls it the, the law. Uh, it, it, they called it the law, and they called it the, the writings of Moses, and then the prophets, because it was divided up in the Jewish Bible that they had, they had the five books that they believed were written by Moses, first five books of your Bible. And then there were the prophets, and and the prophets were like major and minor prophets, and and they put that all those writings together, and that became the Jewish Bible. And, And so Jesus is saying, Oh, good news, they've got the Bible. And here's the thing, even in that Bible, there were stories where God would say, I am going to judge you, this is going to happen to you, but if you'll repent, I'll take you back. If you just come back, I mean, I've done all these miracles for you, I've split seas, I've brought down darkness from heaven, I've brought locusts, I've done, you know, I've done miracles, I've brought water, I've brought, but... No, you just gone on, done your own thing, acted like you didn't see all that. But I'm telling you today, my mercies, this is in the Old Testament, 
My mercies are new every morning. That's Old Testament. And so he says, if you just believe that, you can come back. You can come back. But here, here we are, 2,000 years later, folks, and we don't just have the Old Testament. We've got the New Testament. We've got eyewitnesses who walked with Jesus, who talked with him, who had breakfast with him, who walked up Gethsemane with him, who were all around him, all, all around him for three plus years and wrote their eyewitness stories, recorded them for us so that we could have them. And we still doubt. It's incredible. Did you know that there's more physical evidence for the existence of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus than there is documentation for the existence of Julius Caesar. It's true. You can research it. Yet, you know, now, I'm not saying Caesar. We know there were many Caesars. I'm talking about Julius Caesar was a character in Shakespeare. And there's more evidence about Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus than Julius Caesar. But nobody's going around saying, hey, don't be telling your kids about Julius Caesar. You'll mess them up. He's not really real. Huh? Hello? But, but, but in the meantime, Jesus literally rose from the dead, people saw it, hundreds of people witnessed him, and I'm telling you, he's telling this story, and he's saying, I'm telling you, I'm just warning you, it's not enough for somebody to come back. You just got to take God at his word, and you've got to believe him at his word, and I'm describing this to you so that you'll make the best choice you possibly can and and so understand this as well that when he's describing hell here he's describing it before the resurrection now i'm not going to pretend i know everything about this but but in researching the bible studying the bible here's what jewish people believe they believe that what happened is when they died they went to a place that they called the bosom of Abraham. In other words, they, they, would, they would get in on Abraham's blessing. Now, here's what's significant about it. It's because the Bible's very clear that Abraham believed God and God counted that belief as righteousness. In other words, his confidence wasn't in bulls and goats and sheep or quail or doves or whatever, turtle doves, whatever, that you would offer on the, on the altar. As a matter of fact, he, he believed that, that God was, was able to just do things by faith. And that's what the New Testament teaches about. We walk by faith, not by sight. And get this, this is crazy, but, but God even did an illustration with Abraham. He says, hey, Abraham, why don't you just offer your son to just show how much faith you really do have? And so Abraham gets ready to offer his son, and then God says, no, nope, I've already covered that. I'm going to send mine. 
And isn't that awesome? I mean, even in the Old Testament, God is picturing a day when I'll do that. I want you to understand that through Abraham, I'm showing you that one day I'll be the sacrifice. One day it'll be me that'll sacrifice my son for you for all time. And so he's painting that picture. He's showing us that all of this. And so the people believe, hey, that's that faith that's going to take us to the other side. But then, Jesus says, what, what's different is that, that somehow in this bosom of Abraham thing that there was also Hades and they were all kind of close there together and, and, and somehow Jesus, the Bible says, descended into hell after his resurrection or, or before his resurrection. He descended into hell and the Bible says he led captivity captive. In other words, it appears that in some spiritual dimension and way, you people who have been picturing Jesus, you people who have been looking for the Messiah, you people who have put your faith, your hope, your confidence in a God that will not let you down, I am that God, and I am here today, and I am ready to take you with me into his presence. And so that's what happened. And from then on, then it's different. There's this eternal separation, these two distinct places of eternal heaven and hell. And I want to share with you as we wrap this up that, that there's some physical and emotional things in our lives that bring stability. The first two things that bring uh, physical stability to our lives and mental stability to our lives are light and solid. When, when you go into a place, and somebody was telling me after first service, they said that they went to this cavern one time. And uh, maybe some of you have been there. They, they take you way back in this cavern. And then he says, they turn the lights off. And he says, I'm telling you, that was as black as I could see. And he says, I, I tried to sneak a kiss. While I was in there from my wife, and she about freaked out. Like, ah, don't get close to me right now. I can't even see anything. And, and so it was so dark. You know, it's like putting on, you know, those sleep uh, covers, but then going into the blackest room you can with them on until you don't see anything. I'm telling you, the devil is a liar. Because the Bible describes that this is a place, Jesus said in Matthew 8, it's a place of total darkness. Total darkness. So it's not this thing the devil said, hey, you're going to go down there and drink it up with the boys. You know? Going to be able to go down there and hang out with your friends. Let me tell you something, you're not going to see a friend. Because you're not going to be able to see your hand in front of your face. You're not going to be able to see anything. Jesus says, I'm warning you, it's a place of total blackness. And it's contrasted with heaven because the way heaven's described is you're not going to need a flashlight in heaven. You're not going to need a lantern in heaven. You're not going to need electrical wiring in heaven because the whole city is going to be lit up 
by the presence of God himself because Jesus said, I am the light of the world and that light will cover the whole city, the whole area. Everything will be lit up and will be reflecting that light throughout that glorious city. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? And so it's the total, total difference, see? It's just a flip. And so there'll be this darkness, but then in heaven, it'll be total light. And then something solid. We all need something like this. A few months back, actually a few years ago, I got this, this bug that gave me vertigo. Have you ever had that happen? You don't want that to happen, okay? Get away. Cast that out. Because I'm telling you, everything was spinning. All right? I mean, everything was spinning and all I could do is like okay I know that's not (laughs) everything else is but this is not so I'm gonna hang on to that right now and and so you just need something solid to hang on to but let me tell you something about hell the Bible describes that hell I think it's Revelation chapter 9 verse chapter 11 chapter 17 and chapter 20 I believe that all describe hell as a bottomless pit that there'll just be a, a sense of you don't touch anything there's nothing to touch and, and so think about that you you can't see anything you can't touch anything and you need both of those things in order to maintain mental stability There's two things that help us to have emotional stability. One is rest and one is hope. You know, have you ever had somebody tell you, you know, how many of you, when you get tired, it's not good? (laughs) Anybody like that? Or you know somebody like that? And in your family, maybe you say, hmm, okay, you need a nap. (laughs) Mm. Or, hmm, you need to just get to bed. Or there's times where maybe you think, I need to get to bed. I do. I, I do need to get to bed. I need to get some rest. And here's what Revelation chapter 14 says about this eternal place. It says, and the smoke of their torment, there it is again, will rise forever and ever, and there will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast or in its image or anyone who receives the mark of his name. So the Bible says there's no rest there. So, so there'll be no resting, no break in the action. And then here's the last thing is you need hope. You need hope. See, the reason why many people will commit suicide is they just think there's no hope. Okay? There's no hope. Well, Let me tell you something. I believe there's always hope in this life. There's always hope. Because they said there's no hope when Jesus died on the cross and was buried in the tomb. But how many know they were absolutely, completely wrong about that? It was not over yet. And, and so Jesus describes this hell, and he says it, it's a place where there's no hope because there's no way out. You, you can't get, it's like Father Abraham said, he says, well, you can't get over here, and we can't get over there. See, what well, you already chose, you chose, and so there's no hope of making another choice 
after this. And Jesus went on to describe hell in a word that I'm going to share with you. And somebody told me they'd never heard this before in the first service. It's the word Gehenna. And in the word Gehenna, Jesus used this word when he would talk so often. He would use it sometimes about hell. And he would say, hell is like Gehenna. And that doesn't make sense to us in this room, most of us, if you've never studied that, it sure doesn't make sense. But for the Jewish people, it made total sense because it was the valley of Henna. It had been the valley of Hinnom where the uh, Canaanites had offered their children to Molech had offered them up as sacrifices, living sacrifices, if you can get your head around that, uh, to worship Moloch. And, and then the Jewish people took that, and they began to likewise do these offerings to Moloch. It's inconceivable, but they would march their children and in, in to worship this pagan god, march their children and force them into these fires to, to be an offering, sacrifice to Baal and Moloch. And so then later when civilization came around and they came to their senses, they quit using it for that, but they continued using the valley. Only this time, since it had been so desecrated, they just would take people who maybe couldn't afford a funeral or whatever, and, and they'd throw their bodies in there. And so there's this burning flesh that would happen. And, and then they would burn refuse and things like that. And so it's basically a garbage and trash dump and, and refuse and, and dead bodies. And the stench was awful. You can just imagine. And Jesus says, you know how you don't want to get around the valley of Gehenna? You don't want to get around hell. It's a place of darkness and isolation. It's a place of gnashing of teeth. Can you imagine these children as they were marched into those fires alive? Jesus says, I'm telling you, you don't want to go to this place. If you think that over there, that valley right over there, if you think that's bad, you certainly don't want to go to hell. You absolutely don't. And so he's warning everyone, please, I'm describing a place to you so that you won't go there. And then, think about this. If you went home today and your neighbor's house was on fire and you saw it and you saw, oh my gosh, our neighbor's house is on fire. Would you just hit your button on your opener and say, well, we all need to pray for our neighbor. We, as we go in to watch the game today, we, we should just pray for our neighbor. Now, I'm all about prayer, all right? But how many here, you do more than pray? How many of us would throw our car and park as fast as possible and as fast as possible get out of our car and go over to their house and get as close as we can and if we could we would even go inside the door and if we could we would go inside the house and yell is anyone in here 
And if we heard a voice where we thought we could get to them, how many of us would just go back? No, most of us, many of us would say, oh my gosh, if I can get to you and I can rescue you and I can get you out of here, my gosh, I will do it. And I am pulling you out. We do that. Let me tell you something. Your neighbor may be on fire. Your coworker, a person at school, that relative of yours, there could be a danger of them. And you may be the only one to be able to pull them out, to get to them. So today, this message is for two groups of people. It's first of all, like Jesus said, it's a warning. It's a warning to people so that you know that there's a place, but it wasn't made for you. And the good news is you don't have to go there. And I am making a place for you. And it's an awesome place, and you can go there. And the choice is yours. And and so Jesus is saying that, but then... I think there's another message here that hits home with me and maybe with many of you that maybe I don't take this message serious enough that Jesus talked so much about. And maybe I need to talk about it a little bit more. Maybe I I need to get a hold of it and the weight of it enough that it causes me to do something more than just pray. And again, I believe in prayer. If you know me, you know I believe in prayer. But I think there's something else we can do. And for some of us, we need to open our mouths. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this weighty message that comes to us and God even though it's a subject we don't like to talk about because we don't even like to talk about death or any of those things but but you talked about it so much that that we know it's important to you and we know it's important for us to warn people and so maybe some of you are here today And you just say, you know, Craig, I want to do a better job of watching for my neighbor. I want to do a better job of watching for those around me. Because it could be that I'm their hope. I'm their chance. I'm their opportunity to hear a different message than what the world may be preaching. I know the truth. And I can share the truth. If you're here today and you say, Craig, I want to do a better job of being God's light in the darkness. And and I want to open my mouth. I want to help some more people around me so they don't have to go to hell. They don't have to go to that place. I want to serve as a servant of God to be a warning to others. How many are here and you just raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I I need to do more. I, I, I should open my mouth a little bit more. Yeah, hands all over this room. Father in heaven, I pray that you help us because, wow, what would happen if everybody who's raising a hand in this room would really get busy 
if we'd start using those invite cards and, and we'd really go out with a burden and, and saying, hey, you've got to come to church this Sunday. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I want to sit with you. Please come. I, I want you to be there. I love what God's doing there. And I want you to get in on it. God, help us to do that kind of thing more. To, to just go beyond our own feelings and whatever. And, and, and just to be a warning sound to those around us. Maybe someone else is here. And I don't want anyone to feel scared into heaven or whatever. And that's not the purpose of this message. But Jesus told it like it is. So that you wouldn't go to this place. And if he were here today, I'm convinced he would say, Listen, I'm telling you this so you won't go. And if you're here this morning and you're not sure where you would go. You're not absolutely certain that you would go to heaven. And I don't want you to leave here today without absolutely knowing that for a fact. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we're just in an attitude of prayer. If you're here this morning, you'd say, yeah, Craig, actually that's me. And I I don't really know for sure, but I want to know absolutely sure before I leave this seat today that I would go to heaven if I died. How many are here and you just raise a hand and say, yeah, that's me. I need, I need to know for sure. Yes, see that hand? How many others? All right, up there, God bless you. How many others? All right, over here, God bless you. Thanks for having the courage to raise your hand today. Just pray this prayer, church family. Everyone praying it after me. We're just going to talk to God right now and ask him to come in. And he said, if we'll ask him, he will. So just pray this prayer after me, everyone praying. Just say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me, to pay for my sin, to enable me to start over. So today I ask you to wash away my sin, wash my past away, give me a new start, and write my name in your book. So that if I were to die today, I would spend eternity with you. Thank you for the confidence that I can walk in by calling on your name. Thank you for calling me a child of God. By faith in you, in Jesus' name, amen. Church family, come on and praise God.